Hello and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of DC Insider, What Employers Need to Know. I'm Nita Beecher. I'm from Fortney Scott, and I'm delighted to welcome you to this podcast. In this podcast today, we're going to continue to discuss about how AI is changing the way companies hire employees and the response of the federal, state, and local governments to the use of AI, especially in employment decisions. I'm delighted to welcome to this discussion my Fortney Scott colleague and former EEOC vice chair, Leslie Silverman. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Nita. How are you today? I'm good. I'd also like to welcome Frida Poli, PhD, a neuroscientist. She was originally the founder and CEO of Pymetrics. She's now the chief data scientist of Harvard, a company that improves efficiency and diversity of hiring through neuroscience games. Dr. Poli, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. So we're going to jump right in today. We've talked a lot on prior podcasts about AI. And Leslie, let's just remind everybody what EEOC, your former agency, is in the process of doing on AI, especially on the hearing that they had in January. I'd be delighted to, Nita. And I'm so glad Dr. Polly is able to join us today. In that January hearing, which feels like a lifetime ago now in the AI world, honestly, the commission made clear that the 1978 Uniform Guidelines, or UGESP as we call them, in which EEOC, OFCCP, and three other agencies developed and adopted, which employers can follow to determine whether employment selection procedures such as hiring, retention, and testing violate Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Their main point there is that UGESP does remain relevant and can be used for regulating AI. And that might seem obvious, but in the past, it seemed like it really needed to be updated. From the time I was at the mission in 2007, we had a hearing, I believe, and even the big data hearing. And was that 2015 or 16 that Commissioner Lipnick suggested? So if UGESP is here to stay, what did we learn there? Well, there was a big discussion on the four-fifths rule. It was a big focus. And many of the experts at that hearing kept pointing to the four-fifths rule and talking about how vendors rely on that rule and solely rely on that rule to determine what constitutes adverse impact. And as we know, the four-fifths rule was intended to be a rule of thumb. Now, it's important to note here that there were no witnesses at that hearing representing the vendor community, which is another reason we're delighted to be joined today by Dr. Poli. So in any event, there was a lot of discussion about vendors and a lot of discussions about what they do and don't do at that hearing. And at the hearing, Chair Burroughs focused greatly on the four-fifths rule, and we definitely had the impression that the EEOC would be issuing some additional guidance or technical assistance guidance, which the chair can issue on their own about the four-fifths rule and that it shouldn't be used. Another issue that came up at the hearing is how to regulate AI vendors. And what was discussed there is whether or not Title VII could be used to regulate AI vendors. 
And there was a possibility that under employment agency definition of Title VII, that AI vendors could be regulated. And in fact, in February, there was a suit against Workday filed saying that their tools discriminate against African-Americans and older workers, as well as, I think, people with disabilities. So that was not an EEOC development, but we are seeing something there. Of course, as I mentioned, this was January and so much has happened since then, especially, I think, with the release of chat GP to the public and other AI tools. What we're seeing is the federal government looking a little flat-footed in this area. So in April, EEOC Chair Burroughs, along with top officials from DOJ, CFPB, and the Federal Trade Commission, they all released a joint statement on AI outlining their joint commitment to enforcing their respective laws and regulations and the need to promote responsible innovation in automated systems. So that's a kind of an overview of where the federal government has been. The only thing I'd like to add is, and I'm sure everybody probably knows by now, is I think last year EEOC issued a guidance document um, on AI and disability, and I thought it was a very good guidance. Leslie, I appreciate that. And I'm going to turn to Dr. Poli in just a minute, but I just want to say one thing that we have to keep in mind, and that the reason that the agency keeps looking at you guess is because Title VII talks about employers and employees and not about vendors. So as a vendor, Dr. Poli, you are a well-known neuroscientist and entrepreneur in the field of AI. And could you give us a little bit of your background so everyone on the podcast kind of knows who you are and what you do? Sure. Happy to. So I'm Dr. Frida Pauly. I was a cognitive neuroscientist at Harvard and MIT for about a decade. And then I transitioned out of academia through the business school at Harvard. It's there that I saw recruiting firsthand. And it's how I decided to start Pymetrics because I was real, I realized that there were a lot of advancements in behavioral science and artificial intelligence that could really be helpful in terms of making all employment decisions, recruiting, mobility, development, et cetera, not only more accurate, meaning more predictive, but also far less biased. So that is my background. And I started Pymetrics to do that, was the founder and CEO until last summer. Then I sold Pymetrics to Harvard. And now I'm the chief data science officer of, of Harvard, which is a larger workforce solutions platform that does similar things, but has a much broader offering of products, some that have AI, some that do not. And I'm happy to be here. Well, Frida, we're delighted to have you with us. With your background, can you just give us a little bit of an idea? I mean, we obviously look at things from the lawyer's perspective. How do you see employers using AI in particular to make employment decisions? And what are your recommendations to employers? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, look, I think that AI can be used in many, many different ways. And with the advent of generative AI, then, you know, that's going to create a whole new set of issues. But really, they can be used for sourcing. They can be used for selection. They can be used for promotion. They can be used for mobility. They can be used for development. So there really isn't anything that an AI platform can't do at this point. I think validation obviously is critical and validation can follow current federal guidelines. And that's what Pymetrics does. And I'm sure lots of other folks do as well. I actually think that one of the benefits of artificial intelligence, and I've said this for a long time, is that you can actually automate local job validation. So instead of relying on sort of more generalized forms of validity, which is what IO psychologists and other older platforms have done for a long time, 
you can do sort of the gold standard of validation, uh, which is a local criterion validation study. And you can do that by sampling data directly from the job type and employer that you're working with. So you can do a very data-driven analysis and you should, in my opinion, supplement that with some sort of job analysis as well, which at Penetrics we have always done. So I think there are lots of different types of, and then obviously you need content validation as well as construct validation. Those are sort of more IO concepts, but I think very relevant for all types of AI. Now, I think that's kind of, you know, the gold standard. I'm hopeful that AI providers are aware of these types of validation and are conforming with them. Of course, can't always say that, that everyone is doing that. I do want to just say really quickly on the subject of the four-fifths rule. So one of the other things that we do as a platform and others do as well is try to look at disparate impact and whether these tools have disparate impact ahead of time. The beauty, again, of machine learning is that instead of just running one algorithm and hoping that it doesn't have disparate impact, you can actually run thousands of algorithms on the same data set and then select the one that is both the most performant as well as showing the least amount of disparate impact. We have always taken the position that it's important to look for practical significance as well as statistical significance in doing these pre-deployment bias checks, so to speak. And I think it's really important for this audience to understand that the notion that you can only rely on statistical significance is completely anathema to using these large platforms that process tens of millions of applicants because practical significance speaks to the size of the difference between groups. And statistical significance speaks to whether it's statistically significant. The problem is the larger the amount of applicants, the smaller a difference can then end up being statistically significant. So we cannot rely solely on statistical significance, as some have recommended, because then basically anything, it's just a numbers game. The larger your sample size, you will always trip that. So in our opinion, it's great and wonderful that right now we have these practical and statistical significance benchmarks that everyone should be looking at. And we fully agree that the four-fifths guidance is only guidance and practical significance is not enough. So those are the types of things that I think AI vendors should be looking at is how are you validating and then how are you looking at disparate impact and making sure that they're looking at both practical and statistical significance. So that's really helpful because Leslie and I both attended the Institute for Workplace Equality conference mm -hmm. last week. And to be honest, Frida, all we talked about, literally almost every presentation touched on AI and certainly in our discussions with both the vice chair of the EEOC, as well as with the acting director of OFCCP, we asked mm -hmm. them, what was the expectation of employers? And I believe that if we can find a way to have the vendors work with the employers, mm -hmm. yep. we can satisfy the requirements for OFCCP yep. federal contractors as well as under EEOC. Yeah. And just one note on that, and, and we might get into it later as well. Vendors fall along a continuum. There are vendors like Pemichix, now Harbor, to really work the algorithms jointly, essentially. That's on one end of the spectrum. So they have a lot of control all the way to the other end of the spectrum where vendors will provide a platform, but really say, hey, look, go do what you want. And I think the challenge with that other type of vendor, and it's not an uncommon type of vendor, is that then the employer is really left kind of a little bit, not in the dark, but without an instruction manual, not really sure what the different toggles are, how they might impact things. We hear this often 
from employers who may have used a platform like that and then just have no idea what kind of impact that might have had later. So just wanted to point that out. The interesting thing here is that the greater the ability the employer has to toggle with the tool, the potential liability for the vendors, which I suppose is good for those vendors, but it really isn't good at the end of the day. I can't tell you for how long I talk to in-house counsel all the time for years who'd say, you know, I spend my time trying to make sure there are no tests being used in my workplace <laughs> because when left to our yeah. own devices on these tests, we need you. We need yeah. we need the yeah. vendors in with us. And I would say that they're no longer called tests. They're algorithms, mm-hmm. right? And algorithms are being used everywhere. And people might not even be savvy enough to ask a platform, you know, like one of these large HRIS systems, hey, what are the algorithms that you're running in the background? So I think even more, I mean, back to the Workday suit that you mentioned up front, I mean, again, not to pick on them, but I think a lot of companies are using algorithms without necessarily notifying employers that they are being used. And then who is on the hook when those algorithms are discriminatory? So yeah, I think it's definitely a challenging scenario, I think, for employers to make sure that everything that could be used and fall into the purview of this uh, regulation is being caught by them. So there isn't any technical federal regulation of any kind, but New York City has jumped out in front. And let's just talk, we've talked before, Leslie, about the New York City law, but can you just give us a couple of highlights and then Frida will get your thoughts on it? Because notification is one of them, is it not? Yes, it is. It is way out in front when you say jumped out in front because it takes that whole disparate impact aspect of federal law, but then it requires that employers have independent auditor to look into whether or not there's disparate impact and then to actually post what the disparate impact is on their websites and to let applicants know that these tests are being used for employers. And so there's a lot going on in New York City that employers are still trying to get their arms around. And we're just going to have to see how that works in the workplace. But I'm sure uh, that you have a lot of thoughts on this. Dr. Foley. Well, sure. I mean, I think it's not just employers. I think vendors are also struggling to understand whether the type of algorithm they are building is being caught by the scope of the regulation or not. So there's a lot of you know confusion all around, which again, I don't think is unusual when you have something that is new and people are trying to grapple with. So we were proponents of the law. And I think that you know, for us in any case, or for myself, I think the benefit of this is that I think a lot of times employers, again, to the points we were making earlier, are not always sure what they're using, whether it is having disparate impact, et cetera, et cetera. And so to be able to check that up front, right? So the New York City regulation allows for vendor level audits, which is fairly unusual. That's not something that federal law considered. And I think what is nice about it is that an employer can ask now to see your historical audits and say, hey, look, what does your platform look like in general over you know whatever period of time? And I think that's beneficial because therefore you can provide hopefully some level of confidence to the employer that sort of what they should expect after using your tool. So if you provide them with an audit that says, you know, here's my general practical and statistical significance, and then they deploy it and it looks completely different, that might look a little suspicious. So I think the vendor level audit is a really interesting aspect of this, and we'll see how that plays out. I do think that the notification to the public is critical because as we know, like disparate impact analyses have been done for a very long time, right? Since the start of federal regulation. However, these are generally kept sort of confidential, right? They're not things that people are made aware of, certainly not the public. 
And I think that's to the, you know, to everyone's detriment in a way, because I think it doesn't really maybe put pressure on folks if they are using something that has a lot of disparate impact to consider, hey, maybe I shouldn't be. Now with this public disclosure, I think there will be more pressure to basically think about their strategy and say, look, you know, if I'm using a tool, I mean, so for example, cognitive tests are frequently used. They're used by about 50% of companies. Cognitive testing generally only pass three African-Americans and four Latinos for every 10 Caucasians. So their impact ratios are well below 0.8 and 0.9 guidance, and yet they're very often used, right? Why is that? There's a lot of reasons, but partly is, I think, because the public and, you know, in general, people are maybe not as aware of that. Now, if all of a sudden I'm using one of those tools and I have to post it on my career website, I might not feel that great about it. I might start looking around for new products that provide that same level of validity and efficacy without that level of disparate impact. But I think that it's important to have that public disclosure element because I think just like calorie count labels or nutritional labels, it might inform people and there may be pressure to do better. New York might mandate that you talk to your vendor about disparate impact, but I mean, that is a best practice that all employers should be using anyway. Whether it's mandated or not, I think the message out of the EOC has always been at the end of the day, it's on the employer and you need to know what you're buying and you just can't take the word of the sure. vendor, you want to see the data. Where's the beef? Sure. But that's not always what happens. Just having been on the ground for the last decade, I would say that's not what I've seen always happen, unfortunately. But I agree. I think that one important point that both of you made and one that was made by the vice chair on Wednesday when we did sort of this fireside chat was the idea of making sure people knew when you're using AI to make those decisions. I think New York City's out the gate first, but I think it's very clear that when EEOC gets their third commissioner, you're going to see some regulations come out guidance, I should say. Fifth commissioner, third. Right, right. Third Democrat. Fifth commissioner. Good point. But I think, Leslie, I expect EEOC to provide some additional guidance. You think that that's coming? I would think so. Absolutely. They're certainly going to be making it very public in any way they can in the future to say that they're there and they're watching. But, you know, it's going to take anybody some time to get up to speed on these issues. So I think we'll see a lot more in this area. I think, you know, people have mixed feelings about the vendor level audit. I personally think that a move towards a situation where vendors are, you know, more responsible, more liable, whatever you want to call it, is actually a good one because I think many decades have elapsed since federal regs were put into place and they didn't conceive of a world where technology platform existed that could essentially be running the same algorithm on tens, hundreds of millions of people worldwide. That's just not something that was conceived of back then. And I think that when we start to move towards that reality, and that reality is already here, I think it's a little disingenuous to expect that the employer really should be on the hook for all of this. So I actually think that this move towards at least some ability to ask the vendor to share that liability, I think is important. And the other thing just to keep in mind is New York doesn't say anything about the legality or illegality of tools that have disparate impact. It doesn't opine on that at all. It merely says that information needs to be public. So I think in that way, it's pretty light, but it's also very effective because prior to this coming down the pike, I think a lot of employers that we saw that were using tools that did have disparate impact, either homegrown or purchased, were starting to get nervous, you know, and we're starting to think like, well, what will the public think if we have to put this on our website? And so again, it doesn't make it legal or illegal. Federal law remains, which I think is good because we don't want to have all these conflicting regulations necessarily. But at the same time, we did see it have sort of this powerful effect on people wondering whether really what they were using was the best solution that they could be leveraging. 
I would just add that I think just whether or not they said it's legal or illegal when you post something on your website, because much of Title VII is privately regulated by employees, applicants, plaintiffs, attorneys, they are making it very apparent and that it will stop everybody in their tracks. Wow. So that was a lot to cover in a short period of time. So if we could get, and Frida, we'll start with you, we could just get a takeaway for our audience before we conclude here. Yeah. My takeaway is that artificial intelligence really can be used to provide solutions that minimize disparate impact while having all of the validity and effectiveness as older solutions. And so we should really be embracing it, but also concerned and worried about ensuring that it is really complying with all of the regulations that we currently have. Leslie? Well, I would say EEOC has to keep at it and looking at this. And one thing they should be doing is do not leave the vendors out. As Frida said, the vendors come on a spectrum on what they do. And it's really important for EEOC to meet with the vendors and talk to them and consider what they're doing as they move forward with regulation and enforcement. And I think it's pretty clear that employers can expect, and vendors as well, can expect more regulation of AI. It's exploded even just in the last couple of months. Fire beware. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) caveat emptor. So thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Frida, so much for joining us. And thank you all for joining us to discuss what is becoming an increasingly complicated and interesting topic. Please download or listen to the DC Insider, What Employers Need to Know, and sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.